Welcome to Pushing Beyond the Obvious and I am your host Mukesh Gupta, author of the world's first business poem, Your Startup Mentor. This is a show where I bring you ideas and insights from some of the best minds in the world so that you can be a better entrepreneur and grow your business. Today's episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious is brought to you by Skillshare, an online learning platform with over 18,000 plus classes on business, marketing, technology and many more. Get two months of Skillshare for free at rmukeshgupta.com slash learn. One of the courses that I recommend to every entrepreneur to learn from is the one taught by Simon Sinek. He teaches a class on presentation essentials and is so very good. While you're there, you could also try out the class that I teach, which is on how to rock your next brainstorming session. You can find my class at rmukeshgupta.com slash brainstorm and get two months for two months of Skillshare for free at rmukeshgupta.com slash learn. Uh, hi, Dori. Thanks for taking time and talking to us today. Hi, Mukesh. Glad to be talking with you. <laughs> so uh, before we kind of move, uh, can I ask you to introduce yourself and the body of work that you have done? Sure. So I, uh, I'm an author. I've written three books. Uh, the first was Reinventing You, which is about uh, professional reinvention and how to how to shift into the job or the career that you want. Uh, my second was Stand Out, which is about how to become a recognized expert in your field. And my latest book is called Entrepreneurial You, which is about how to think more entrepreneurially, uh, how to develop multiple income streams in your business. Um, if if you're if you're an employee, how to create a side hustle. And if you're, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, how to really maximize that and and get into new lines of business that can help you maximize your revenue. So all the three books seems to be following a pattern uh, of, you know, uh, how do you stand out uh, and thereby create a side hustle or a brand for yourself? How do you uh, think in a way which again creates kind of a brand for yourself and allows you to create multiple um, uh, income opportunities. So is that a conscious choice that uh, you've had or is that something that has uh, emerged out of whatever you have been going through in your life or seen people uh, going through in their lives around you? Um, well, first of all, I'm glad I'm glad you see the through line because because <laughs> yes, it is intended. Um, although when I first started writing my books, I didn't necessarily have the the longer term plan. Uh, I describe the books now as a trilogy, but it it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that I had planned three books out. I, I am really good at being strategic, like maybe a year out. I'm kind of bad at being strategic five years out. Uh, but I just I just kept doing the next thing. That was interesting to me, or the thing that was that was relevant, the problem that I wanted to solve in my own life or my own career, the thing I wanted to figure out, and so it really was a progression uh, in the sense of you know how do you get to the zone that you want to be in? How do you excel in that zone? And then, okay, well, how do you make money in that zone? Uh, so I, I think it does fit pretty well together. But but the truth is, it was kind of one thing at a time. <laughs> so let's talk about um, uh, your latest book, which is Entrepreneurial uh, You. So where did the thought or the seed for the book arise? And uh, uh, what did you learn in the course of writing the book, which uh, uh, you thought uh, was uh, something which, uh, you know, which changed your mind, you know, so I am writing my book as well. And uh, you start off with something in your mind as to know, this is what we are going to write. Then you go out and do research, go talk to people. And then there is something that you realize that, you know, okay, what I originally started out with, uh, not everything is as we originally thought out. Something changes uh, the entire process of writing the book, changes something inside of you. Is there something like that uh, which happened to you when you wrote this book? Well, one of the, I guess sort of the origin stories of writing Entrepreneurial You was I had this this experience uh, about three years ago where I was um, I was corresponding with a, a friend of mine, a guy named John Corcoran, and I, I tell this story in the in the opening of the book. And I I had just come back from this uh, teaching engagement in Asia, and it was it was great, you know. I mean, it was it was very lucrative. It was a fun experience, but it was hard work. I was teaching like six hours a day at this business school, and uh, you know, it was exhausting. I had a cold while I was doing it, so there was kind of a certain level of misery <laughs> involved in in doing it, even though it was a nice assignment. And uh, so I I was corresponding with my friend John, 
And basically what I discovered was that the amount of money that I had made in this two-week period, you know, again, a good amount of money, but I worked very hard for it. He made the same amount of money that month just from like sending some emails and i'm like wait a minute how did how did that happen what 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 am i doing wrong here and so it got me interested in understanding a little bit more about uh online marketing and affiliate marketing and and things like that which i had always eschewed because you know especially in the early days there was a little bit of a of a taint of uh people who were diving in on this and it it just seemed like they were all kind of scammers and viagra salesmen and and things like that and i was just like i don't want to do this like trashy thing but what i came to realize was that of course you know you know when once you think about it any channel is a value neutral channel it's just a question of how how you use it. It can be used for good or it can be used for ill. And so I wanted to learn more and explore more about ways that people who are, you know, ethical, intelligent professionals that are actually trying to do something uh, meaningful rather than something trashy, uh, ways that they could leverage the internet appropriately to build out their business and create new income streams, which I think a a lot of, of people haven't, you know, even you know, 10, 20 years into the, uh, the the cultural rise of the internet, a lot of people haven't necessarily adapted their own business model to that. And so I think there's a lot of untapped opportunity. Interesting. So tell me something. Uh, there is this dichotomy that I see. On one side, uh, uh, almost everyone who talks about investing talks about the importance of having multiple sources, having a widely spread portfolio. And on the other hand, we have people uh, like uh, you know uh, 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 Cal Newport who say, okay, you focus on one thing. Then there is uh, uh, this book uh, which is uh, which talks about you know how uh, focusing on one thing and only one thing is probably the way uh, to go and to grow and go all in. And there is this. I mean, I see people doing well with either approach. So is there something which tells us okay when is it a good way to good time to go diversify your income streams and diversify your uh, uh, interests and passions and you know uh, and when it is time to go deep into one uh, area and you know explore that and become and own the category as they say yeah i think i think that's a really smart point mukesh and and you're right um, i in many ways i i want to uh, s- split the difference here because i i think that there there's value to both pieces and and let me sort of explain what i'm talking about so when i talk about multiple streams of income um what i am really talking about is within the context of your professional sphere so if i you know how how we make money how we get money coming in so in terms of like once i have money you know there's plenty of things i do with it you know i put it in stocks or real estate or whatever but uh and i think diversification is useful there but in terms of how i'm actually bringing in money I am not advocating for people to do wildly different things. I'm not saying be, you know, be a tennis instructor, uh, you know, run a dog breeding operation, be an English tutor. You know, the, these all have different audiences. Uh, they can't they can't capitalize on each other. What I am suggesting is that most people are have a, just a little bit too simplistic of a business model sometimes where they have a thing that they do. Oh, well, I, I do social media plans for companies. That's it. And, you know, that's, that's great. And if you are an entrepreneur, presumably you have a number of different clients, so there is some degree of diversification, but you are almost certainly leaving money on the table because, and also having a little bit of, of risk because, all right, let's say that, a new market entrant comes in, let's say that all of a sudden companies say, you know what, we don't need social media plans, or they all decide to hire people in-house, you know, whatever. It, it, what I am suggesting is that there are oftentimes synergies that can happen when you have the same audience, and you can you can essentially sell them different things or in different formats that don't require that much extra effort, and in fact can can enhance each other exponentially. So in my case, 
I now have, I, when I wrote uh, Entrepreneurial You, I had seven income streams. I'm now up to nine. And the the things that I do, just so people can get a sense, I do marketing strategy consulting, which is kind of the original thing that I did in my business, uh, executive coaching, writing books, uh, business school teaching, giving speeches, affiliate income, online courses, uh, live in-person workshops and events and mastermind groups. So, so there's nine there and they feed into each other, right? Because the same person that buys a book of mine, that might be the $20 entry point, but if they really like it, they might say, Oh, I want to join your course. I want to, I want to join your mastermind. I want to get private coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And it works the same way too. Someone might be in the audience when I give a speech and they say, oh, this is really cool. I want to learn more. I'm going to join your email list and therefore I might sign up for this promotion for which I would get affiliate income, et cetera. Um, so it, it becomes a flywheel of business. So uh, if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that you know, while uh, you go deep into uh, the thing that you do, but at the same time, uh, instead of just focusing on one stream of income from the thing that you do, you find ways and means to uh, add additional income stream without having to actually diversify the thing that you do. Is my understanding right? Yeah, basically. I mean, really, it's just asking yourself the question, who else would be interested in my product or service that I'm not currently serving? And is there a way that I could tweak some variable to make it accessible to those people? And that's one that's one question. The second question is, who are the people that already are my customers and what else could I sell them? And you know, if you, if you ask those two questions in a strategic fashion, you can oftentimes, without too much effort, expand your empire. Interesting. And uh, have you seen someone actually go uh, other than yourself, uh, uh, seen someone who actually started off with something and then uh, uh, has been able to diversify uh, the income streams? Uh, if you can just give an example of someone you know of. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, basically, basically all my friends, <laughs> you know, uh, it's uh, in in entrepreneurial you, I profile about 50 uh, different entrepreneurs that have been very successful in creating multiple income streams. And, you know, it's it's a pretty wide variety of, uh, of possibilities. But I mean, just to take one out of the many examples, uh, just a few nights ago, I had uh, drinks with one of the people that I profiled in the book, a woman named Selena Sue, and she started her business doing uh, private private coaching for people around PR and publicity. And that was kind of the original form of her of her business. But once she started to build an audience and uh, you know get to you know get known in her field and attract more readers to her, she began making money in a lot of different ways. She does affiliate promotions, uh, so she that's one way that she's able to make money. She uh, last year launched a mastermind group, so people pay her for like a year long mastermind together. She's done a number of online courses. That's become a big revenue stream. So you know once once you're kind of in that world, oftentimes things present themselves, and often even better. Your audience will tell you what they want. Um, so, for instance, when I started my course, which is called the Recognized Expert Course, in 2016, it you know I I wasn't necessarily thinking like oh I'm going to do live events or or whatever. But the the participants in the original pilot cohort of the of the class actually said, hey, we want a live event. We want to meet each other. And so I said, oh, okay. So I so I took that suggestion and I organized one. And so that that I, I ran that as, as kind of a test, but that became a revenue stream. So I did a one-day mastermind in person in New York City in 2016. In 2017, I you know sort of expanded it and played with it a little bit. I turned it into a two-day live mastermind retreat. The people there liked it so much, they said, hey, we would like you to create uh, an ongoing year-long mastermind. So I did that, and I think for... Four of the so like like forty percent, four out of the ten people in that room uh, signed on for that year long mastermind, and then you know I brought in other people as well. So that became a different revenue stream, but it's all because of requests from people that are already in your universe. Interesting. So that actually gives me a nice segue. You mentioned about uh, the recognized expert. <coughs> Excuse me, the recognized expert program. So uh, I I read somewhere that you know. Uh, you are the expert at uh, you know how to become an expert. 
so <laughs> so can you you know maybe you know uh, in a briefly talk about uh, uh, how does one go about uh, uh becoming an expert in a particular topic is there a way is there a method to the madness uh that you have figured out yeah there 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 is actually <laughs> have i spent a lot of time uh researching it and studying it and uh and so the i would say one of the core pieces of the methodology that i teach in the recognized expert course is that fundamentally uh there's there's three three things you need to concentrate on three levers that you need to push uh so the first is content creation the second is social proof the third is your network and so briefly just to explain what i mean by these things uh content creation is important and the format really doesn't matter that much it could be podcasts it could be blogs it could be a book it could be speeches but what you need to be doing is sharing your ideas publicly because this kind of makes sense once you say it if you do not share your ideas publicly no one will know what they are and therefore it is very hard for them to consider you an expert if they have no idea what you think so you have to do content creation uh number 2 is social proof that basically means what is your credibility right what uh what indications are you giving to them that they should pay attention to you um so a a quick and effective way of doing this is aligning yourself with pre-existing brands that people already recognize and respect and therefore they can say oh okay she has been vetted by this you know this organization or that organization she's at least worth paying attention to i'll at least you know give her a chance um so social proof is critical and then third of course is your network and that is important both because you want to make sure that you're talking with smart people uh so that you know you you have good inputs right you want people who can say to you oh mukesh this is a great idea go do this or mukesh this is a horrible idea definitely don't do that um so you get that and then once once you decide what you want to go on you need people who can help you amplify that message because there's only so much one person can do you need help spreading it uh so that that is crucial there and um if you have those those three pieces that can be It, you know that that's really the formula for becoming a recognized expert and in fact if people are interested i i have a free uh scored self assessment that people can take uh where you can actually rank yourself based on where you fall for each of these three categories to see where you're good and where you need to do a little bit more work and anyone who wants it can get it for free at dory clark d o r i e c l a r k .com/toolkit t o o l k i t super so again uh, 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 i'll just digress a little bit here and talk about uh, the reinvention piece so a lot of times what happens is uh, as entrepreneurs we uh, go ahead and start a business uh, take it to a scale and then realize uh, that this is probably not the business uh, or the lifestyle that they would like to continue to have which means that you know there are two options either uh, you kind of uh, get stuck and you know try to uh, Uh, uh stick it out or you reinvent yourself in a way that uh, uh, takes you to uh, a kind of a business which is the kind of business that you want which leads to a lifestyle that you want to live in as well so which means that there is a, a, a level of reinvention that needs to happen so you, you've written the book reinvent you so uh, what do you what would you uh, you know uh, tell people uh, if they want to reinvent themselves at some point in time Yeah so for for reinvention um you know fundamentally there's a there's a few things you should keep in mind uh the first is that this is sometimes a little al alarming it's not what people expect but it is important to know it up front oftentimes the the people who will be the toughest for you to convince are the people who are close to you um we often think oh well of course you know my family is going to be really supportive or my friends are going to be really supportive and ironically you know strangers strangers are perfectly supportive because they're not invested at all you know you could you could go up and tell you know some new person you meet oh hi i'm mukesh i'm an astronaut and they'd be like oh fantastic <laughs> you know they i mean they don't know any different they're going to they're going to take it at face value if you in fact have decided yes i'm i'm in astronaut training school now um but your your friends your family they're going to be the ones who will say mukesh what are you thinking what do you know about being an astronaut why are you giving up this good job this doesn't make any sense 
And so you really have to kind of be strong early on to withstand that because they think they're being helpful, right? They're, they think they're being the devil's advocate. They're saving you from making some terrible mistake. And so if you really want something, you have to be pretty persistent and you, you essentially have to win them over first. This is the first battle is convincing the people around you that you are serious about something that you actually would do a good job with it. So this also is where content creation can become very valuable because people might not necessarily believe that uh, you know about something or, or that you really know what you're talking about. But if you start creating a lot of content related to that and you just keep putting it out there in a conscious and consistent fashion, after a while you kind of begin to wear them down like, oh, well, I guess Mukesh really is passionate about being an astronaut. I had no idea. I mean, I read this piece. It sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Okay. And so that's where the process of reinvention starts, right? So, and I think it is also important that uh, while doing this reinvention, so how does one actually balance uh, uh, what uh, uh, he or she has been doing versus what he or she wants to do? So is there any advice that you have for that transition period? You know, you cannot just shut one down and then move to the other. So there is a transition period. So is there yeah. something that you would suggest to them uh, who are or would need to be in the transition period? Sure. Yeah. I, I think um, oftentimes a myth that we have in our culture about entrepreneurship or about making you know professional changes of any kind is that it needs to be this very abrupt change. Like, oh, you jump off the cliff. You just get up your courage and you do it. And oftentimes that's actually really bad advice, um, especially if people, you know, you have you have a job, you, you have a mortgage, you have responsibilities. And the idea of encouraging people to just kind of wantonly quit and have, have faith is not not great. Um, what I suggest, on the contrary, and I talk about this a lot in, in Reinventing You, is that instead, the more runway you can give yourself, the better. Um, if you if you say, you know what, I have decided I want to leave my job, you know, whether it's to start a business or to shift into a different career or something like that, uh, in you know a year, great. Or two years, even better, because it gives you time to to plan strategically. It gives you time you can save up money uh, so that you have a little cushion for yourself, you can build skills. You, you know, it, it, that's that's helpful. You might need to take a class. You might need to get a certificate. You might need to learn some new things. And it gives you the time to be able to do that so that when you transition into that new thing, you, you're not scrambling because you have the skills that you already need. Um, it gives you the time to network as well because you might say, oh, gosh, if I want to move into fashion photography, gosh, I should probably meet some people in the fashion world. Well, if you have a two-year period to do it, that's a lot of coffees. That's a lot of lunches. Um, if you are consistent and committed, you can make that happen during that time. Whereas if you just abruptly quit, you're, you're from the beginning, you're going to be in this high stress uh, situation where you're just playing catch up. So I, I think plotting that out can be very valuable. And in fact, in Reinventing You, I tell the story about a woman named uh, Patricia Fripp, who transitioned, she made a really interesting transition from being a hairdresser to being a professional speaker. And the way that she made this transition, she had a 10 year lease on her hair salon. And she said, you know what? I'm just, that's my runway, right? I signed the contract. So what I'm going to do is take this, you know, this 10 year period or, you know, however long, let's say seven or eight years, you know, once she decided to be a professional speaker, I'm going to take that period and I'm going to take all the training I can get as a professional speaker. I'm going to start out and do all the free gigs to get the exposure, get the experience. And slowly over time, she began to get paid gigs. She began to get more and more recognized by the time uh, the 10 years was up and she had to decide, do you re you know renew the salon or not? She was able to just walk away from it because she said, you know what? I don't need it anymore. She had more than replaced her income from the salon with her income as a professional speaker. So it was a completely seamless transition because she had planned it out so well. Interesting. So you've, uh, you've done so many interviews with so many people in terms of, you know, whether it is for entrepreneurial you, whether it is for reinventing you, uh, or whether it is for standing out. So is there a through line that you see or is there something common which you see among uh, people who have successfully done this transition uh, that uh, you can share with us? Anything that 
everyone seems to be doing uh, irrespective of what kind of transition or what kind of uh, 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 business uh, they are looking at yeah i mean i, I think that a place that uh, where you know it, it is a, a commonality in terms of of people's success is understanding the importance of narrative and what i what i mean by that is that oftentimes the biggest misconception that people have in the reinvention process is that if they just start doing it if they just start you know making the transition that other people will get it other people will sort of pick up on it like oh obviously mukesh you're becoming an astronaut clearly <laughs> you know that makes all the sense in the world um we would you know we would like it of course if that was the case but the truth is number one most people are not paying that much attention to us they're just they're not clued in they're busy with their other things number two even if they are they are not going to expend a lot of cognitive energy to try to figure out our motivations or our rationale for doing something. And so if they, so first of all, they might not even notice that you're making a transition. They just, you know, whatever, miss it. Number two, even if they do see it, they're not going to think, oh, wow, gosh, what is it in Mukesh's past that leads him to want to do this now? Like, that's just like way too much effort. What they're going to say instead is like, oh, Mukesh, you know, was, uh, you know, he, he did like, what do you, what do you, are you in tech or what do you do now? Yeah, I work for SAP. Fantastic. So Mukesh <laughs> was at SAP. Now he wants to be an astronaut. That's weird. Mukesh must be having a midlife crisis. Like that's basically, you know, what most people they're like, "Oh, I don't know." And so whatever explanation people come up with for uh for your transition, it's usually not the right one. It's usually not a favorable one. It's just like, "Oh, you know." And so if we want people to really understand why we're doing what we're doing, and if we want them to understand more importantly, why it is that we are qualified to make this transition, why it is that actually it's not random, the things that we did in the past prepare us well for the thing that we want to do in the future, we have to be on it. We have to be on top of telling that story and explaining it to people. Because if we tell the story right, oh, well, you know, I used to do this, now I want to do this, and here's how these dots connect – Great. You know, 99 times out of 100, the person's not going to argue. They're not going to be like, that doesn't make sense. They're going to be like, oh, cool. And then that's in their head. Then they can be the ambassador and repeat that to other people. But they're not going to come up with it on their own. So you have to be very, very assiduous about making sure that you are sharing that narrative with people, that you have developed it and, and are putting it out there in a cogent way so that other people can take it on. Interesting. And that's the brand that you're building for yourself. Exactly. Yes. And a lot of times I found that, you know, uh, people are not very, uh, uh, very good at uh, coming up with this kind of a narrative for themselves. I mean, you ask, okay, uh, you ask someone to help me, let's say, for example, you know, I have an entrepreneurial friend uh, who's running a business. I, if I go and ask him, uh, you know, can you help me come up with my narrative? He might be able to do that uh, for me. But whereas if I ask him, what is your narrative? Uh, people tend to struggle quite a bit. So is this something that you found in others as well? Uh, or is this just a phenomena that I have found locally here amongst my friends? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think I think it's pretty universal. I mean, the, the problem, of course, is that, you know, we don't have enough perspective on ourselves, right? If you if you are in your head 24 hours a day, which, you know, we are as, as people, um, you simply know too much information about yourself. And it is very hard to separate the signal from the noise to be able to create a coherent narrative that is something that weighs things appropriately and puts them in an order that actually makes sense to other people. You need other folks to be able to just cut through it and say, Mukesh, this doesn't matter, this doesn't matter, here's what matters. And so this is why it's so important to have a, a trusted group of, of colleagues or friends around you who can do this uh, because it's it's almost impossible to do it for ourselves. I mean, no matter how smart you are or whatever, I mean, you can you can come up with hypotheses, you can you know sort of start the process, but if you really want uh, it to be you know, good or, or make sense, then uh, then I would say having other people be, 
you know, be part of that process is important. Uh, for instance, in Reinventing You, I have an exercise that I share with people, which I call the three-word exercise. And it's very simple, but, but you know, kind of quick and dirty, effective. And the way that it works is that over the course of, you know, a few days, a week, whatever, you go to about half a dozen friends or colleagues and you ask them a very simple question, which is, if you had to describe me in only three words, what would they be? And, you know, you write them down so you don't forget. But guaranteed, by the time you get to the fourth or the fifth person, you are going to see commonalities in what they say. And... The, the issue is it's not that they're going to tell you things that, oh, my God, you've never heard in your entire life, right? I mean, almost always it's going to be familiar, but the part that is so useful and the part that we cannot do on our own is they are essentially telling you what is it that from an outside perspective other people think is most unique about you. That is something that we have no perspective on. We have no idea. And so knowing that becomes very valuable because it begins to give you clues about strengths that you have in comparison to other people in the marketplace that you can really drill down on if you want. Very interesting. So um, that brings me to um, uh, a slightly, you know, uh, a different question, which is uh, uh, ha having written this book, entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial use, you said that you know you interviewed 50 plus people uh, for the for the book. So, is there anything that really surprised you in the entire process uh, of having spoken to so many different people? And if so, what was that? Well, you know, one of the things that I actually found pretty pretty surprising, um, you know, and it's 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 not shocking it's I mean, what's surprising about it is that it seems in some ways very elementary and yet so stunningly effective uh is the power of consistency and what i mean by that is one of the people that i interviewed in entrepreneurial you is a guy named james clear who is a popular blogger about habits oh, and about fitness. i follow him as well so great guy there we go. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, when I interviewed James, I mean, he he's built this massive email list of mo you know multiple hundreds of thousands of people. When I talked to him, I think it was about four hundred thousand his email list, and um, you know, I asked him, of course, well, how did you build that? What did that process look like? And he said, literally, the you know the only the only thing the only difference between him and other people was that at a certain point, in I, I think two thousand twelve, late two thousand twelve, he decided that he was going to blog every Monday and every Thursday. And he just announced it. He's like, every Monday and Thursday, that's what I'm doing. And so he kept to it religiously. Um, he Interestingly, um, he actually, uh, in the course of writing his book recently, he, he announced he sort of had, had fallen off the wagon a little bit uh, with that. So, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But during the time that I interviewed him, he had had this meteoric rise in his email list. And he said that, that really it was a function of the consistency, um, not just because people came to, you know, to know, oh, good, I get two blogs per week from James, but also he said that consistency makes it far more likely, just like, just like a baseball player or cricket player or something at bat, um, inevitably some of the posts are going to be average, you know, the majority, uh, some of them are going to be eh, not, you know, not that great. And some of them are going to be amazing. They're going to be blockbusters. They're going to be the ones that go viral. And, it's it's very hard, of course. If we if we could say, oh well, every post I write is going to be a viral post, then you know, <laughs> sure, why would you do anything else? But we can't do that. No one no one knows how to do that. And so the only way to get more viral posts that really explode is to have more at bats. And so that consistency that was a forcing function for him that at least eight times a month he was going to be creating a post which had a chance of really being a breakthrough hit. Uh, so I, I think that that's something that that I thought was very powerful. Super. So you were recently announced to be part of the uh, Marshall Goldsmith's uh, uh, team of people whom he will coach and share all his uh, uh, knowledge so far. So uh, how did that come out? Congratulations, first of all. And uh, thank you. Uh, how excited are you to be a part of the team? And did you already attend the first uh, workshop uh, that uh, he put out some time back? 
Yes. Yeah, so I, I joined, uh, the, it was recently announced, but I, I joined the, the MG 100, the Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches program, uh, last July. And so I so far have attended a couple of programs that he put on one in, in New York city in October, one in DC in, um, December and uh, there's another one coming up in uh, next month and uh, it's it's been a great experience. I actually got involved in it uh, through a good friend of mine uh, named Alyssa Cohn who uh, is a very uh, successful executive coach in the startup space and she has been a mentee of Marshall's for many years and uh, and so she got me involved in the program but it's it's been great. I mean Marshall of course uh, has a talent for really bringing together an amazing crew of people and He's he's creating this from such a generous place. I mean, this is you know not uh, any kind of a money making initiative or whatever. He's he's doing it uh, just because he wants to share his knowledge and create something good. You know, create a community uh, of of people who are who are better at what they do. He wants to raise everyone's game, and then his his own what he, what he says again and again is you know his only request is that you know at some point and in some fashion uh, that all of us do something similar. I mean, if not create our own 100 coaches, at least in some way, create a format for, for giving back and sharing knowledge with others. And, uh, so I, I think that that's, that's a pretty cool goal and, and a testament to his generosity. So, uh, having attended those two, three, uh, uh workshops already, uh, is there anything that you've already learned, which you see, uh, changing the way, uh, you look at things or, uh, uh having an impact on, uh, how you run your business as well? Yeah, it's a good a good question. I think you know in these in these early uh, sessions that I've gone to, uh, in many ways it's it's more even just about you know meeting the other participants and uh, and getting to you know be enmeshed in the community. But the first session that I went to really was kind of a breakdown of Marshall's key methodology. And so something that uh, that I like a lot actually, he has a, a famous concept called feed forward. And I think it's it's very apt in the sense that. Uh, you know, feedback, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's, of course, the, the you know, the classic, the, oh, let me give you some feedback. And almost like whenever you hear that phrase, it's like, oh, no, <laughs> let me give you some feedback, Mukesh. Let me tell you what you did wrong here. And it's just like, it, almost nobody responds well to that. Uh, it's just like, you know what, it's, I can't do anything about it now. Like, you know, what, what do you want me to do? And, uh, and so it, it, it's not. It's often not helpful, and uh, and it just engenders ill will. It kind of gets people defensive. But feed forward is uh, is kind of a, a nicer framing of that because it's people it's people asking for help moving forward. Where where they actually can do something about it. You know, what, you know, what, what can you do in the future? What are your, what are your ideas for me? Um, and that uh, kind of sets a better frame. It's, uh, it's, it's less about criticizing you and more about collectively, uh, coming up with the best ideas, uh, for the future. And so I, I think that's, that's a very nice adaptation. Super. So, um, I'll just again shift conversation uh, to the fact that you yourself are an entrepreneur as well. So there comes a time in every entrepreneur's life where uh, everything that they do seems to uh, do nothing to their business. Uh, they feel that they are their uh, backs to the walls. Uh, they are uh, at a place where uh, nothing seems to be working. So have you been uh, in a position like that? And if yes, how did you come out of that position? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's true. One one of the, the challenges about entrepreneurship um, is that, of course, you you don't have a guaranteed salary, right? You're 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 paying your salary, and uh, I, I think you know what I've come to learn. Of course, I, I learned it. I had the, the both the benefit and the misfortune of learning it early on because I had uh, a day job, my first job out of graduate school as a reporter, which I was laid off from. And so it's kind of like, you think you have this steady income until you don't, and then you have zero income, uh, which is a little alarming. At least when you're an entrepreneur, you're sort of aware that it's going to be very precarious, that there are going to be peaks and valleys and things like that. Uh, but I certainly have had some valleys. In fact, one that stands out was just before the release of reinventing you for some reason uh and you know that was my that was my first book that came out in 2013 and uh, you know for some reason which i really i can't 
put my finger on. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that there was a reason. I think it was maybe just a constellation of different potential clients and you know they all had their own thing like some of them you know wanted to delay a project and some of them you know whatever whatever uh it was just a million different reasons but it led to me for a period of about six months having almost no new work you know i mean i was doing some stuff that i had been doing but but normally you get you know these sort of streams of uh of requests or you know incoming inquiries and there was just nothing and it was like kind of alarming it's like wait a minute what's you know what's happening is something going wrong and i was i was alarmed about it and you know i never got to the point where it, it was like oh man you know i, I need to, to get a job tomorrow but but it was concerning to me and so the hope that i had you know i just i was like okay i have this book coming out and my hope was that the book would trigger enough interest you know enough publicity or enough kind of brand awareness about me that it would kick open some new projects and some new opportunities and it turned out that it did uh which was which was great and you know since then I, i've been fortunate that i haven't i haven't had a sort of dry spell like that but you do have to kind of take it on faith a little bit and uh and that was that was a, a scary time i i think that for me what has been key is that as an entrepreneur, um, I always like to try to, you know, especially in the early days of my business, but even now, uh, I try to live below my means so that I can stockpile a lot of, um, you know, liquid reserves, uh, cash reserves, because you just, you know, you, you don't have a guarantee of what's going to happen or when business is going to come in. And so what gives you freedom is knowing that you are not in an urgent state of affairs, uh, that you can uh, that you can make choices because you have a, a cushion. So the other thing that all almost all entrepreneurs uh, need uh, and at some point in time realize that, you know, uh, they are already late uh, in uh, having is uh, mentors. All right. So at any at every point in time. Uh, you know, depending upon the phase of uh, uh, entrepreneurship that you are in, either you are in the phase of uh, building an enterprise or you are in the phase of scaling an enterprise or you are in the phase of stabilizing and, you know, looking at the next possible opportunity for growth, you need a different set of mentors uh, uh, who can actually guide you. So number one uh, question uh, is, uh, uh, have you had the uh, luxury of having such mentors? Number two, uh, is there a is there a thought process or is there a way that someone can actually go about identifying some of these mentors? Because a lot of times people come back and ask me, my audience comes back and asks me is, uh, how do I find out whether a particular person is a good mentor uh, for me? Or uh, you know, where do I find someone who can actually help me in this phase of my entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I, um, I've written about this quite a lot um and thought about it quite a lot uh i have kind of a, a philosophy around it which is that i think that in a lot of ways the discourse around mentorship is a little bit misguided in that so much of the conversation is about having a mentor who is uh, essentially you're like the mini me of that mentor they're they're doing the same thing as you they're a little bit older maybe they're like 10 years older uh in their career and they just, they, you know, they decide magnanimously, oh, I, I, you have so much potential. Let me just mentor you. Let me let me just do this thing for you. And, you know, of course, it would be wonderful if that was the case. But essentially, it is a wish in that form to be rescued by a fairy godmother. That's basically what it is. And if you have one, great. I am very excited for your fairy godmother. But most of us do not. And so instead we have to get a little bit more proactive about uh, about making our own. And so what has worked for me and what I will suggest to other people is what I call having a mentor board of directors. So it's not necessarily just relying on one person to be everything to us, but instead 
assembling a group of people around us and they could be senior to us they also could be peers they also might even be junior to us but they're people who have skills or abilities uh, or character traits that you really respect and that you want to learn from and you don't have to you know emulate them in every way but you can say oh I'd really like to learn that thing from that person and just try to spend a little bit more time with them and learn how they do it learn you know sort of soak it in and if we can be conscious about creating that I think that that can be very valuable and in my case I've had the opportunity on a number of occasions to to learn from I'd say peer peer mentors uh my good friend Jenny Blake uh who certainly qualifies in that category she has a, a word that she coined called a friend tour <laughs> which I like very much uh and so you know for instance uh sometimes it's it's kind of mastermind group uh, my good friend Mike McCallowitz created something a couple of years ago called the speakers exchange uh which so he's been a, on the a show a couple of times actually Fantastic. Well, you see, you, 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 are, you are already on top of it. Uh, but yeah, he, he had a group called the Speakers Exchange, where it's kind of a, a network of speakers, which uh, I learned a lot from and made a lot of good friends from. So things like that. Super. So I think um, uh, Jenny Blake, uh, she agreed to be on the show. Uh, we just need to find a date uh, uh, that works for both of us. So oh, good. Uh, this is a small world. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> So uh, that brings probably, you know, uh, to the last set of questions because we are running out of time. So uh, one question is that, you know, outside of your own book and your own work that you've, uh, you've done, uh, is there any other resource? And it could be a book, it could be a documentary, it could be anything else that uh, you think uh, which will help my audience, uh, uh, you know, which you want them to check out? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually, uh, so... I was mentioning earlier that I'm running this uh, this mastermind group, and I just yesterday sent out a new assignment for people in my mastermind. And what what uh, it was, uh, and so I'll, I'll share this with your listeners as well, is I just finished reading the book The Power of Moments by Dan and Chip Heath, uh, which I thought was quite good. And I, I thought that was uh, a really interesting book. And, uh, you know, in some ways it may have applications to your business, for other people, it may just have applications to your life. But I think the question of how do you take your time, you know, the sort of raw time that we all have, and, and use it consciously to create more special moments and special memories is, is a worthy question to be asking, whether you're talking about your spouse, your family, or your your uh, clients. Um, so I, I think that that's a good one to read and to think about. Yeah, it was an amazing book. I had the opportunity to read the book as well, and I think uh, some of the things that uh, uh, the Heath brothers talk about in the in the book, whether it is a new employee experience, whether it is uh, how do you uh, ensure that you know uh, you and uh, you make you turn a, a normal simple moment into a moment which you will remember for life. Uh, that's really really uh, powerful. Uh, the book they talk about. So I'm I'm a big fan of theirs. Uh, I think. Uh, their books are the ones which I have gifted the most. I mean, I've gifted uh, uh, Decisive to all my customers. I've gifted Switch to all my customers. I've gifted uh, Made to uh, Stick to all my customers. And now, this year, every year, Jan, Feb is when I uh, I buy gifts for my customers. And this year, it's going to be the power of moments. The other book nice. that I found, the other book that I found, which is also very similar, uh, is uh, a book by Dan Pink. It's called When. Also talks yes. about uh, uh, moments, but in a very different way. Uh, and put together these two books, I think uh, uh, if we are able to uh, gain insights from both these books and apply uh, them to our lives, I think uh, they can make a significant uh, uh, difference, not just in our lives, but in lives of everyone else that we are connected with. So thanks for bringing that uh, uh, out. So the, the next question that I have for you is, you know, uh, if there is one thing that you think uh, 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 has had the most or the biggest impact on your business, uh, what is that one thing? One thing, I I think honestly, it's just that I am uh, I'm very persistent, and uh, I I will try things many many times uh, before giving up. I mean, in fact, I if I if I uh, I, pr I pretty much won't give up, and uh, and so I I don't get too stressed out if I'm getting a no 
um, you know, I mean, I, I'm not talking about like getting a particular client to convert or something like you don't want to be some harasser, but, uh, but if, you know, for instance, like you're trying to break into a publication or something like that, um, then it's just like, that's cool. Not right now, but later. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it, 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 it's, uh, so many people think about, you know, it's so hard to not get discouraged or something like that. But if you take a very, very long-term view about, you know, it's going to happen eventually, then you don't have to be so stressed out about it not happening in a particular moment. Interesting. So uh, I remember reading uh, uh, somewhere that uh, Clay Christensen uh, always had this thing that, you know, he wants to become the editor of uh, Wall Street Journal and uh, he's still uh, waiting for that opportunity to come by. <laughs> there like we go. 30 years, 30 years now. Anyway, <laughs> so... <laughs> So, and I think uh, being an entrepreneur is also being a little bit uh, uh, stubborn and persistent because, you know, otherwise you don't get what uh, you really want uh, as well. So that again, uh, uh, you know, uh, is a pro that is a, uh, a trait that most of my listeners uh, share as well. So the show is called Pushing Beyond the Obvious. So what is it that is so obvious to you, but people miss all the time? Well, I think... Something that comes to mind, Mukesh, is that, um, you know, I, I give a lot of talks about uh, networking. You know, I did an ebook called Standout Networking. And I, in my own life, it's kind of an, imp an important thing because I regularly do these like dinner gatherings. I moved to New York about four years ago. And when I moved here, you know, I pretty much didn't. I mean, I knew people, right? But I didn't have any close friends. So I sort of had to reconstruct my friend network from the ground up. And so having dinner gatherings was a way to do that. And it really made me understand that I think a lot of people have kind of baggage around networking because they assume that it that networking means like networking events, which are almost always horrible. And I think that what is obvious that people miss is that essentially networking is is really just making friends, that that's basically all it is, and it's it's fun to make friends. And I, I think that people wait, you know, they, they put all this weight, this baggage on it, which makes it not fun. But if you can just treat it like, hey, let's go make some friends, let's go meet some cool people, then it becomes like a really nice thing to do. Yeah, and not necessarily keeping a particular uh, result in mind uh, when you are trying to do that. I've seen that uh, as long as you are just open to uh, meeting people and uh, uh, getting to know them, uh, it is easy. But the moment you say, okay, which one of these can become my client or which one of these can actually help me out uh, in getting a new job or in getting a new client, that is when it becomes really, really uh, stressful and uh, people don't really like it. And it also comes through uh, when you talk to other people that, you know, you have a hidden agenda uh, behind yeah. uh, your approach and uh, that Absolutely. kind of doesn't work. So anything else that you would like uh, my audience to go check out as soon as they listen to this conversation and they're done? Nice. Well, one thing that I will that I will mention in case folks are are interested in, uh, you know, when we were talking earlier about how to create multiple streams of income in your business, I have a I have a free resource that relates specifically to that. Um, it's called the 88 question entrepreneurial you self assessment. And so it actually walks people through how to think about creating multiple income streams in their own business. And if anybody would like to get that, uh, you can download it for free at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur. Super. And where can people reach you and where can people find uh, uh, the work that you've done, uh, the books uh, that you've written? Yeah, thank you. So uh, so the books are Reinventing You, Stand Out, and Entrepreneurial You. Uh, pretty sure they're on uh, they're on Amazon. You can get them on Amazon India, too. They might even be on Flipkart. I mean, we'll have to check that. <laughs> I know that's, that's, the, that's the cool thing in India, right? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, if, if anyone wants to learn more about me or read a bunch of free articles, 500 free articles on my website, just go to doryclark.com. Super. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you, Dori, and uh, thanks for taking time. Thank you, Mukesh. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious. If you like the show and would like to support, please head over to iTunes or wherever you are listening to this show and rate us and write a review. Till next time, have fun. <laughs>